So if we hadn't have launched that client leadership program, and if we hadn't got that extra revenue from our clients, then we would have gone bankrupt. That extra revenue, while it didn't stop the losses, it curbed them. And it curbed them enough that we were able to get through that period. And after 13 years, that tap just suddenly turned off and it, and it killed us. What period of time did it just, that, that tap stop them? Was it a short amount of time? Was it over the six months? Was it all at once? Well, yeah, it was, it was basically, yeah, it just stopped. Hello, everyone, and welcome to season two of the Confessions of an Agency Owner podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ailey, and as a bit of background on me, I'm the founder of a UK search marketing agency called Honcho, which I founded in 2008. Over the years, I've helped devise SEO and paid media strategies to the likes of eBay, WWE, Gumtree, PC World, and many more. What started as a frightening experience launching a podcast as part of the LinkedIn Creator Program actually ended up being something I quite enjoyed. So if you've not heard the podcast before, it's primarily aimed at agency leaders, but hopefully the topics will provide value to anyone working in a people or service-based business. We explore different topics in each episode, from new business, to team leadership, marketing, personal branding, all the elements that are involved in running and hopefully growing a successful business. So here we are, we're back, season two, and my guest today is Trenton Moss, an ex-agency owner of 15 years, author of the book Human Powered, and now head coach of Team Sturker, a training and coaching business that creates high-performing teams by improving their people and client leadership skills. Trenton's story is fascinating, turning a failing agency that was close to bankrupt and running losses every month into profit and eventually selling. In this conversation, I was keen to explore not only how he approached leadership and got his team on board when they were so close to failure, but how he used some of those frameworks and methods that he talks about in the book to turn things around. I really hope you enjoy the episode. Have a listen. Trenton, hello. How are you? Hey, Chris. Nice to see you. And you, mate. Thanks for coming on. Good to be here. Good, good. So, look, we've been chatting a lot lately, and there's lots of topics that we could cover today. But one of the stories that you told me that I thought could really sort of resonate with agency owners at the moment, especially in the economic downturn, was this period that you spoke about where you basically had six consecutive months of losses and, and felt like throwing the, throwing the towel in before turning that around into a profit and then eventually selling your agency. So I think a really good place to start today would be sort of wind back to what, 2017, when you were mm -hmm. in that place, that struggling agency owner. Could you tell us a bit about some of the most difficult moments that you faced back then and what you needed to change in your business to get yourself out of that hole? Yeah, it was, we're going right in for the awfulness straight going away. Straight in, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it was horrendous. So I'd been running the agency for about 13, 14 years. And generally we grew every year and generally we were profitable. So, you know, all good. And then uh, this one year, our new business just fell off a cliff and we had a 60% a decline in revenue from new business and it, and it killed us. And it meant that we had six months of consecutive losses, losing hundreds and hundreds of thousands of pounds in the process. And it was, it was utterly awful. And at the same time, my, my kids were very young, so they weren't sleeping very well. Just that year. They slept fine before that year and they slept fine yeah. after that year. Yeah. But it was that year they decided <laughs> to not sleep at night at all. So it was without a shadow of a doubt, one of the worst years of my life. The, the, the stress, um, as I've said to you before, Chris, I, I'm astonished I still have hair and that what I have is, is not completely grey. Because not, I've it's never... Still it's still there. <laughs> Good. Yay. <laughs> but the, the stress was just just awful and you know after 13 years of doing it being confronted with it's all gonna go 
I'm going to lose everything. I've I've put my heart and soul into this business for 13 years and it's all going to go. And then what am I going to do next? Like I'm, I'm unemployable. I don't know what's going to happen next. It was, it was really some really dark times. Um, I had a couple of panic attacks during that period, which I've never had before, never had since. I mean, it was a, it was a really low, awful period. Um, did you go through that yourself or did you have, uh, I mean, so for example, in my business, I've got uh, Saeed, who's our CRO. And for me, giving him that position and giving him that complete transparency to my agency, you know, he knows all of the, every single aspect of it. And that makes my life as an agency owner so much easier because I've got someone to lean on. Did you have anyone yeah. like that? Yeah, yeah. I had my, my managing director who's brilliant and my leadership team. Um, we were, um, I just had a brilliant leadership team around that time. So I spent, I'd say 11 years or so failing miserably at putting together a good leadership team. But around that time, I, I'd managed to put together a really a, an exceptionally good high performing team. So yeah, we, we all knew what was going on. We all knew the issues and, you know, I could obviously, you know, open up a bit more to my, my managing director as well. And, you know, obviously friends and well, well my wife and other yeah. friends and family who I'd be crying to. Um, I also had an, an advisory board for the business. So three quite senior people from, from outside the agency and they were, I mean, they were amazing. Like, like, it was, I was really impressed at how they all stepped up because we, we paid them a very small amount of money for like, I think overall about three days a year of input, you know, like, like, like a half day every quarter and a, and a few bits and bobs outside of that. And they basically, you know, these, I had the person running WPP for the whole of the UK, dropping what she was doing to come and meet with us and to just kind of help us turn this around and come up with a proactive new business plan. Because for, for 13 years, it was just, we didn't have to do outbound new biz. It just came to us, you know, we do all we the marketing to... stuff. Yeah, it just came to us. You know, we do all the usual marketing stuff, but we didn't really have outbound new beers and we never needed to. And after 13 years, that tap just suddenly turned off and it, and it killed us. What period of time did it just, that, that tap stop them? Was it a short amount of time? Was it over the six months? Was it all at once? Well, yeah, or... it, was, it was basically, yeah, it just stopped. So at the start of the six months, probably a couple of months before, I just noticed that we were quite quiet for new beers. And with the kids not sleeping, I was kind of relieved. Okay, don't mind a bit of quietness for now because, you know, things at home are really challenging. And then when that quietness and new biz continued and then that started, you know, after two or three months and started feeding into our P&L in a rather negative way, then, you know, started to worry and, you know, started talking to the advisory board and they really they were fantastic. They were instrumental in helping us put together our first ever proactive new business plan. And I basically just spent six months killing myself to execute that. So, you know, imagine the hardest you ever worked, right? A period of time where you've worked really hard. And hopefully it's at a time when your business is growing and things are going great. So you've got loads of energy and you're pumped up to, to do stuff. And then imagine your motivation is the exact opposite of that, where you're just like, oh my God, it's all falling to pieces. I'm done. I can't do this anymore. And then having those energy levels, which is where I was at, obviously, um, I then had to work harder than I'd literally worked for the entire 15 years. So can you just talk us through, you know, there must have, was there a light bulb moment where suddenly, right, this is the plan. This is what we've got to do. How did that plan come about? Yeah, yeah. How did that I, mindset was, change? Yeah, yeah. It was, I mean, it was working 
it was working with the advisory board. So whilst I was down and out, I was just somehow finding energy to throw everything at this while barely sleeping at night because my kids were up all night. Um, the, the, main, the main thing we did and the thing that was hugely successful um, was I started a couple of communities. So, I, so we were a, a user experience agency. So I started a community of design leaders, so brand only people running teams and digital leaders, again, brand only people running teams. And it was like an exclusive community. It was like invite only. And I, I got them going and then they just took on a life of their own. So every month across the two communities, we get about 30, 35 people in our office, all our target clients um, oh, coming along. Yeah, coming along for like a breakfast and then a roundtable discussion. And there was a whole structure to the roundtable discussion. It was essentially them kind of talking about what was going on in their businesses. So what was great about it is we didn't have to curate any content. We just facilitated their discussion. And as a result of running those, we, we started winning work. And so just by having these guys in the office, we had a really lovely office with a nice area for like events and you know, roundtables and things. Mm -hmm. um, and just by running those in the office and kind of making those connections, we won work with Tesco and RBS and Vodafone and so on without even having to pitch. It's just remarkable. And that helped provide this, the, the launch pad where by the end of that six month period in month seven, we broke even. Cue massive celebration with my leadership team and me. And you know, just obviously celebrating with water because there's no water. money to tap, oh, <laughs> tap water. Yeah, not bottled water, uh, tap water um, and bring your own food because um, we didn't make a loss. And yeah, it was, it was those communities, hugely, hugely successful. New businesses, really challenging, really difficult. Um, and those communities were a lot of work, but a, they gave me great insight into what was going on within brands because I hear all their problems every month. Exactly, yeah. Um, yeah, and, and B, I built up a really good network off the back of it. And C, ultimately, when the people coming felt like they had a need and they needed external support for it, we were front of mind. Exactly, yeah. And how did you go about getting those people to come to those events then? Was it just outbound messaging, cold messaging, or was it friends yeah, friends? Yeah, um, Started off kind of with contact people I knew. So I'd message a bunch of friendly people I knew and say, Hey, I'm starting this community. Are you potentially interested? And you know, they basically wrote back saying, yeah, yeah, sounds good. Let me know when I'll try and come along. And I did that with people from well-known brands. So as soon as I had like four or five people saying, yeah, I'm up for it. I could then reach out to a broader audience and say, I've got the, you know, I'm starting this community. Here's the purpose of it. You know, it's not an agency sales thing. You get to meet your peers people doing the same job as you and by the way the people doing the same jobs for you are you know a brand a b and c are mm. coming along too are you in and it was um yeah it was quite successful it wasn't too hard to get people along how about the wider team at your agency then so at that time where you were losing money were they aware of how bad things were were they how did you sort of approach their mindset because obviously you can't put that fear into people because they're just going to look for another job right they think they're going to lose their job how did you get yeah. them on board and on that journey to help i mean to be fair what, what i find when you have like difficult times in your business what i've always found is it actually galvanizes people people kind of like get because people can see that things aren't going well right because they know that, that they're not that busy 
So yeah. everyone knows like something's going on. We, we generally talked about our finances with the business every three months or so. And I think as in terms of the way the months fell with our six month period of downturn, I think the first month or two was in the previous quarter and the last month or two was in the last quarter. So we didn't have too many times where we'd report back just how awful it was. Um, you know, we were always truthful. It, it, to be honest, it galvanized people and they were just like, right, what can we do to help? But one of the things we did about a year before is I set up this um, client leadership program internally, which also was hugely successful. I feel like I keep saying about these things I did, which was hugely successful. There are like five things I did in the 15 years that well, were hugely successful. Yeah, yeah. And about and about 500 that were massive failures. So the failures by far outweighed the successes by yeah, about 100 times. Anyway, this was also something very, very successful. One of the few things I did that really worked. And um, so we were pottering along, you know, doing okay as, a, as, as, a, as an agency. And suddenly what we did, UX became very mainstream. And before we knew it, we were pitching against the likes of Accenture and PwC and IBM. And that's, that's a different level, right? So we knew yeah, we had yeah. to up the ante. We knew we had to kind of you know, improve the way we were with clients. You know, we were good, don't get me wrong, but anytime we needed to inspire a stakeholder or anytime there was a senior stakeholder involved or anytime there was a problem with a client, me or someone from my leadership team would invariably have to get involved. And we were like, well, how do we get extend those client leadership skills across the entire business? And and we did. So we had me and my MD were doing a planning session and we came up with this random idea of like Friday skills. So every Friday, nine to nine thirty, you had to be in the office pre-COVID, right? Um, 1930, you had to be there. You couldn't be with a client. You couldn't be doing a new business pitch, including me. You couldn't be doing anything. You, everyone had to be there unless you were on holiday or sick or dead. Those were our three exceptions that we, we made clear. Like we put it out there that we were going to do it. So we had to, so we started coming up with what it meant to be a leader to our clients, what it meant to um, lead and inspire them. Um, and the kind of the mantra was, look, doing amazing work is only half the battle. You know, I had a bunch of great consultants who did great work who were very passionate about it. But I wanted to get the message across that doing great work is only half of your job. And the other half is having clients think you're doing amazing work. And just doing amazing work by itself is not enough to have clients think you're doing amazing work. And we're going to now do a skills program every single week to teach you how to make clients think you're doing amazing work. So and after about six months, we really started seeing the benefit. And after we launched it the following year, we got a 35% increase in revenue from our existing account. So, so big, big revenue impact, which coincided with new business falling off a cliff. Coincidentally, they were nothing to do with each other. So if we hadn't have launched that client leadership program, and if we hadn't got that extra revenue from our clients, then we would have gone bankrupt. That extra revenue, while it didn't stop the losses, it curbed them. And it curbed them enough that we were able to get through that period. So that, you know, getting the clients to think you're doing great work, that, that's not bullshitting them, though, right? That's, that's more educating them on what you're actually doing and, and showcasing the good stuff, is it? Or talk it's about what you mean by that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's about knowing how to handle yourself with a client. So if a client is not happy about something, it's about knowing how to handle that conversation. Or if you've done some work and it's really brilliant, you don't go in and talk about the minutia and the process of all the bits and bobs that you've done, because I know that's your passion, but it's not the client's passion. The client is more interested in whatever it may be, hitting a certain target that they've been given. So 
If you're going to go in to do a show and tell, for example, and you're going in to present your work, the, the objective of that meeting is not to present your work. The objective of that meeting is to have the client do, think or feel X, whatever X might be, whatever you want them to do, think or feel off the back of the meeting. And you're going to present your work, but that's a means to an end. And the narrative that you use to wrap that up and the way that you present it should be in line with what you want the client to do, think or feel. Not in line with, well, I need to go and present my work now. And so there were so many things that we taught the team in terms of how to handle conflict, you know, when a client's not happy, influencing techniques, persuasion techniques, how to build up rapport, um, how to present in a way that influences and gets people excited, storytelling, how to get clients emotionally committed to your meeting so they really want to be there and that they're on your team, and so on. And yeah, it really worked. So can we delve into some of them a bit? So it's all about the outcome, defining your outcome and understanding the client's outcome. And the way that you understand the client's outcome is when you go and meet, meet your client, you don't just say yes to everything they ask. Instead, what you do is when they start talking about their concerns is you let them keep talking. Don't try and persuade them. So what many of us do is as soon as a client says something that they're not unhappy, that they're unhappy about or they disagree with, we make the massive mistake of trying to persuade them otherwise. And that's the worst thing you can do. Yeah, no, it's not even getting defensive necessarily, Chris. It may not be. It might just be coming up with a response about why you think that what they're saying isn't correct and why you, know, you think this. And actually, the thing that you do whenever a client comes to you and they're not happy about something, they're asking questions about something, they feel concerned, is you stop talking and you start listening. And you let the client talk. And then you encourage them to, to talk more. And you do some, a technique which I call draining the fishbowl. So you imagine that your client's head is basically a fishbowl, right? You know, like one of those glass bowls filled with water. Yeah, no fish in there, uh, but just water. You have to let your client drain the fishbowl. Let them say all the things they're saying. Nod your get head, listen, chest. get it yeah. off their chest and then ask them questions. Even though you're really annoyed, you've done great work and they're not recognizing it and you've burnt through all your hours and then some. Let them get it off their chest, not just get off their chest, but really explore what they're saying. Really ask questions, reflect back the things they're saying, let them drain that fishbowl completely until a point where they're like, okay, well, what have you got to say? Come on, tell me something here. Like, like, you know, I'm doing all the talking. And that's when they're ready for their fishbowl to be replenished with your water. And they're ready for you to start speaking and put more water in. But the problem is, if a client or anyone indeed says something that you disagree with, we wait for them to stop talking or maybe wait for a pause. And then we tell them our point of view. And that's the worst thing, because then you're pouring water in and the goldfish bowl is going to overflow. So you let them get, get it all off their chest in a way perhaps you haven't done before. Insofar as you're questioning, you're, you're, you're validating what they're saying, you're really getting them to empty out every last one of those thoughts. And you're really exploring what success looks like for them, because what they're asking for is just what they think is, is like something that will help them achieve success. But if you can understand what success is, what that real outcome is they want, then the thing they're asking for, they may not need that. There might be another solution that is also good for you, that is better for you. And that will be fine by the client because then it's win-win. So you let them drain their fishbowl and then it's your turn to respond. And a really great thing I like, I like to say, a great, really great way of, I think, explaining how you respond is to explain to people what the opposite of agreeing is. So Chris, let me ask you, we haven't even prepared for this. Who knows what you're gonna say? What do you think is the opposite of agreeing? Well, it's disagreeing, obviously. <laughs> and, and I'm afraid the answer is not disagreeing. You see, the thing is, the opposite of agreeing is actually not agreeing. 
Okay. So just Which because you, surely you don't disagree, though, isn't it true? <laughs> well, there's a slight difference. It's great, great question, great point. There, um, I would say they're two different things, and, and let me explain why. Just because you don't agree with what a client or someone is saying, it doesn't mean you have to disagree. Right? You can not agree, but you, but you don't have so to you disagree. You don't have to defend against it. You don't have to say, well, actually, yeah. You're wrong. So you let your client drain their fishbowl. Oh, this applies to anyone, right? You let them drain their fishbowl, get everything out, really explore the core of the issue, get to the bottom of the issue and what success looks like for them. And then when it's your turn to respond, you just explain what success looks like for you. So it may be, in this case, you might say to your client, okay, you need to get to X, Y, and Z, you know, because you've let them drain their fishbowl. You now really understand what success looks like for them. And then you say, okay, brilliant. So um, as, as I've told you previously, we've burned through 150% of our hours this month. So we don't have a huge amount of time. Um, and I really want to get you to that, that point. What can we do here? How do we get to that point in a way that works for you and that works for us? And that's such a different conversation than just going in and telling them why they're wrong and why what you've done is okay and that you've burned through the hours and they need to pay more. Yeah, and I think the irony of this a lot of the time is that the goalposts move as well, don't they? So you're actually working to X, Y, and Z thinking that that was their initial objective or that was in the brief and that, that has changed and actually letting them get that off their chest or empty their fishbowl you actually understand what's important to them now. And I think that probably works in, it, internally as well, to be honest. Yeah, but I think the other thing that really struck me in your book, the directors, the thinkers, the socialisers and the relators, how do you change that conversation with each of those character styles? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, four different communication styles, which are based on two different criteria. Um, whether or not you prioritise problem solving versus relationship building. So uh, we all lean towards one ahead of the other sometimes by a lot sometimes only by a little bit so people who are more into problem solving like to kind of you know get on with things uh, and people into relationships prefer to kind of you know spend time with people and that's one of the axes and then the other axis the other uh, uh, variable is about how direct you are so if you're someone who just kind of likes to talk likes to say it how it is versus someone who's perhaps you know a little bit indirect a little bit more perhaps introverted um, and those are the differences so you've got a socializer for example which as which chris you are that's your um I, i've worked it out from spending a bit of time with you that that's your and communication what, what makes stuff me a socializer, then? <laughs> so okay please tell me if i'm correct or incorrect with this I, <laughs> I have a little quiz you can take and we can verify it but okay. a socializer by the way all the styles are great so you must never think like oh i'm this style that's worse than that one or better than that one they're all great and we need a mix of all four different styles so that's very important just want to clarify that a socializer generally you are quite um outgoing uh quite almost like jazz handy you get quite excited very positive very full of energy great at like say leading a business and inspiring the people around you um you're very happy broadcasting and, and sharing uh what's going on in your world so you know you've got a great following on linkedin everyone who has a great following on linkedin is very likely going to be a socializer because uh, you're someone who's quite extroverted quite to kind of say what's going on um and you're quite big picture thinking. You're not necessarily into process. You'd rather get a, a, a COO. <laughs> You'd rather get a COO in who's more into the detail. So you can have the big ideas. And, and you're great at big ideas, by the way. Socializer, you're the best at, at creativity. You're going to change the world. You have so many ideas that often they're really crazy, but some of them are so crazy that they may actually work and like to be game changing. Um, and that's where you as a socializer, you tend to be at your best with people, big ideas, 
um, kind of leading and inspiring people. So those are, those are socialisers. So if you're, uh, and a lot of senior clients tend to be socialisers and directors. So if it's a socialiser, you want to go in and you want to, if you're presenting your work, you want to present your work in such a way about how it might lead to game-changing impact. Like that work by itself probably isn't going to have game-changing impact, but the potential of it it's could be huge. It's from macro rather than the micro. Yeah, macro the and, the, and, the, and the future. I'm guessing, Chris, as a socializer, you get excited by the future, whereas yep. um, styles like Relator and Thinker, you get a bit more nervous about the future and you're a bit, you're a bit more risk-averse. So if you're meeting with a socializer, don't just focus on what you've done. Focus on the impact it can have and the big picture change that could happen that would make your client be like, wow, I've changed the world. Even though it's like pie, a bit pie in the sky and a bit like, well, maybe that would happen. Um, that's what you do with a socializer. And if you're meeting a director who, so like I said, generally, not always, but generally, the more senior clients tend to be socializers and directors. If you're meeting with a director, which is me, by the way, directors, we're much more, we're blunt. We're to the point. We just want to get on with things. You don't even need to ask a director, how are you? It's, it's just such, a, from a director's point of view, it's just such an arbitrary question. And so it's not going to help. the detail. So yeah, you, yeah, just, just get on with it. Yeah, yeah, as yeah. a director. So, so um, for you as a socializer, Chris, you want, I'm guessing you want to start your meetings with a chat, checking in, yep. let's build up some energy together. Um, but for a director, that's not how you want to be. You just want to get on with it. So for... People who prioritize relationships more, which will be uh, your socializers and your relators, you can find it quite hard meeting with a director because it's like, like, do you not think of me as a person? Am I just like, like a, a robot or something? And they can feel like robots. And it, it's not that they don't care about you as, as a person. It's just that as a director, you get your motivation and your energy from achieving things. You still care about people. You still have friends and family that you care for and love, but you really get your, the most amount of energy from achievement. So if you're presenting to a director, then um, you really want to focus on how your work is going to help them achieve their immediate goals. So find out what their KPIs are for that year, that six months, that quarter. And then when you present your work, do it in the context of how they're going to achieve those KPIs. Don't bother talking about pie in the sky, big picture impact. That doesn't motivate them. That'll motivate someone who's more of a socializer. Now, the way you can tell if someone's a director or a socializer, like Chris, every, every, well, yeah, because that's what they're focused on. I mean, yeah, look, yeah. With all these styles, there are good things and they're bad things. So directors are great for just getting on with it. But the downside of being a director is you tend to be quite blinkered. There's not much creativity. You see the end goal and you just go in a straight line to get there as quick as possible. And that may not be the best way of going there. You get a bit blinkered, a bit not open to new ideas, a bit too much around logic and not thinking about people. So there's, it's not always great. That's why you need all four styles. Same for socializers. You're great as a socializer, great for big picture ideas. And sometimes we just need you to come back down to earth so we can talk about the thing that we need to do today and, and so on. Yeah, there's also thinkers and relators who also bring great things to the conversation and great ways of being. And again, there are downsides of those kind of styles. That's why for any business, you know, and, and and in your business, Chris, you ideally want a mix of all four styles because you all bring something different to the table. But what's really important is that you all accept each other and that you all recognize. So if I'm a thinker, I might be like, oh, that Chris guy. Yeah, he's great. He's oh, so high level. There's nothing about the detail. And if I'm a thinker, I'm really into the detail. But then I've got to be, appreciate, well, he may not be into the detail and I may struggle to connect with him because I like to talk about the detail. But he brings something to this business that I can't 
bring. He brings creativity and fresh thinking and inspiration to the team. And, and that's a really good thing. So we all just have to accept each other. And the moment we all start accepting each other and indeed accepting clients for the way they're, they're talking to us, well, everything becomes so much easier. So in your business, did you train your team to be able to deal with all four characters? Or, I mean, something we do, especially in pitches and things like that, and I'm sure a lot of other agencies do, is sort of casting. So you look at the character of the client or the potential client and you think, well, who in my team kind of has the same personality type or who's, you know, who's going to deliver what they're after? Which, how did you approach that in, in the new business world? You know, did you say, right, you go and chat to Mr. Tesco's because Mr. Tesco's is the same, is a thinker like you? Or do you chuck a socialiser over to... Mr. I mean, Tesco. yeah, we, we'd, we'd try to, you know, take the, the right people into the pits with, you know, um, for who the client was. Uh, to be honest, in reality, it's who's available, right? So, <laughs> well, during our six-month downturn, there were a lot of well, people available. available. So there was a huge to... amount of availability. Um, so, yeah, when you got availability, yeah, we'd, we'd like, you know, if we could work out roughly what the client was like, then we would take someone, you know, similar communication style. Um but yeah, often it's just like who you've got and then you've got to kind of like, we've got to kind of work at it and prep the pitch to pitch it in a way that we think is going to work for them. So again, if it's more of a socializer person, we're going big picture ideas. Oh, and here's how we'll deliver it. And if it's more of like a, a director style, then it's like, here's how we'll deliver it in order to achieve your, your you know, short to medium term objectives. Yeah, sure. So going back into your business and that time of that real struggle, in terms of like culture, how did you deal with, with that team? How did you you know galvanize them how did you motivate them how did you get yeah. them to really to be work? to be fair we had we had a really we had a really good culture i did a lot of work on the culture from day 1 i i always i always wanted the agency to be a place that i would be happy working at and i went out of my way to work on that so i think Culture stems from the fact, for a smallish business, culture always stems from the founder anyway, and then the, 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 the behavior of the leadership team. And I worked very hard to make sure that I and my leadership team were exemplars of the behaviors that we wanted. Um, so when we had the downturn, people were, you know, people were generally on, on, on board with, you know, we're, we're having a difficult time. Um, let's work, you know, what can we do to kind of drum up more business? To be fair, like I said, they, they, were, they were smashing it at that time because we were doing so well with existing clients. They were just absolutely smashing it. So it was, and it was such a shame because it was like, we're doing really badly as a company, but all of you are doing amazingly. Look how much extra revenue you've got from our clients and the quality of the work and, and the relationships you're building with clients. You know, the new skills we're teaching you. Wow. Um, sorry, new business going really terrible and it's causing us to have big problems. But people really got on board and started coming up with you know, ideas for things that, that they might be able to help with. Um, to be fair, people who, generally people who are kind of client-facing and doing delivery work, they're not, they're not great at new business, right? As, as agency leaders, we get tired of like new business always seeming to fall to, to us and the leadership and maybe a new biz person or two and that no one else seems to have any interest in it. You can get people more commercially aware and you can get people to have more of an interest in it, but they're never going to be that good at it because they care about the delivery. They care about doing the work. That's why they're doing that job, right? So you can't try and fit a square peg in a round hole. No, but surely having that team, I mean, you know, if, like you say, that person in delivery, they could be working on an account and in their eyes, you know, they're doing a great job on that account. Results are great, but the business around them is falling apart. <laughs> 
<laughs> wasn't know. that bad. Financially, we were doing financially, badly. Financially, I mean, we'll go on to the business model in a minute of perhaps why, why new business was so important. But, you know, surely having those people there that are going, well, I'm doing a good job. It's not my fault. How Did you do anything to sort of, you know, get them out of that and give them a better understanding of the business so that they could support you as well or yeah yeah that's a great question to be honest it, it wasn't like that because so okay so as a business we had we had three core core rules and that was it that was the only rules and they were in order of priority so rule number one always act within the best interests of the business that was the first rule and you had to work out what that meant because these were smart grown-up people rule number two never do anything that makes it harder for one of your colleagues to do their job and then rule number three is do whatever it takes to get your job done really well and achieve the, the kind of, you know, the, the, the targets that, that everyone has around certain things. And that was it. And that was our rule. So we really had a culture of trust, empowerment and collaboration. There wasn't there wasn't like micromanagement in there. People could work from home as and whenever they wanted. This is well before COVID. People could come and go as they pleased and they were trusted to do the job. Um, we did a lot of work around also autonomy, mastery, and purpose. I don't know if you know, it's like Dan Pink's mantra. He's like a, a nice. self-help business guru type person. Um, and we did a lot around autonomy, mastery, and purpose, um, which was basically, you know, so we talk about this publicly and say, right, those are the three, from what we understand and what we believe, those are the three things that are going to be core motivators to you. So how do we give you more autonomy? So here's the structure that we've got. And as a team and as an individual, you need to go away and work out how you get the most amount of autonomy whilst getting the support the business needs. Um, then what do you want to become a master of? What do you want to become a specialist in over the next year? And then finally, purpose was like, right, here's our business vision. And we worked hard to come up with a vision and a mission statement. What is it you need to do to help us achieve that vision as, as well as delivering your work? And we did loads of work around that. And it really galvanized the troops and got a really nice culture. And then... You know, we always did loads of internal training and stuff together and invested in the team. But then once we started this Friday skills thing, I mean, it was great in terms of the impact with clients, as I've talked about. But what was also great is how it brought everyone together because we were all doing something that um, and all learning new skills together and all leveling up at the same time. So what it meant was that people all had something to talk about and they were getting all this personal development. And mm. I was getting all these stories from people about the skills that they were learning at work, how they were applying them at home. Some really amazing stuff. I remember I had this one girl who's the brilliant, brilliant project manager and she'd never done a presentation in her life. Like she was great at her job, but she, she would not ever do anything that involved presenting. And as part of the skills program, um, she had to do a presentation to the whole company uh, and get critiqued for it in front of everyone. We all did. I did. Everyone did. We took it in turns. And she did it and I helped her with it. And then she smashed it. Did an absolutely amazing job. And two months later, she got married and she did a speech at her own wedding. In, in PowerPoint. <laughs> uh, just, yeah. But it was like, it was, it was, it was amazing. And so to be honest, like when we got to that downturn, there, there wasn't any grumbling of like, well, I'm doing well. It was, we just explained what was going on. I think if you're honest and transparent with everyone, they just respect that. So it was like, you guys are smashing it with clients. Here's how we've done, everyone knew how we did new business because we, we we'd already a few years before started doing a lot more transparency around new business. Because I remember once being like, I wonder how much people know about new business. So we had a company meeting and I said, right, here's all the new accounts we've won in the last few months. I'd like you all to write down how 
we won each of those accounts. Like, what, what, was it, what were the activities that we did in order to win those accounts? And you got something like a 5% success rate across the team in terms of people actually knowing how we won new business. So after that, we, made, we did a lot of work to talk about new business in our monthly meeting and about kind of what was going on, but for, especially for the ones that we'd won, how we went about winning those and, and the process. Because people who don't work in new business don't understand the level of work that's required just to get one new client in the door. I mean, it's like a, it's like a full-time job, well, it is, you know, for, for, for many yeah, weeks yeah. to make that happen. And so we really raised awareness of that. So then when we had the downturn, you know, we could be honest, look, you're clearly smashing it with clients. Revenue's higher than it's ever been with clients. Big increase on the, last year. Here's what's happened with new biz. You know, we've shared with you before how we do new biz, and it's always worked for 13 years. And it stopped working. And these are our hypotheses why. But whatever it is, it's not working. And therefore, and what were those? here's Out our plan. Oh, we had a list of about 10 things. I, th I, I don't think it was any one in particular. I think it was the perfect storm of them all coming together. I think probably the biggest one was the likes of Accenture and IBM and PwC invading our industry and, and just, just wiping, wiping the floor. So, you know, they'd go in for pitches. And they'd say, right, all of that dev work that you need doing, all that IT stuff, we'll do that. And the UX thing, yep. which we would normally pitch for, we'll give you for free. Can't really compete with free very easily. So I think that was one of the biggies. There, there were a whole bunch of, of hypotheses we had. Um, so we just explained this to people and said, right, we're working with our advisory board. We haven't got the plan yet, but we're hoping to get that ready next month and we'll let you know. So it was just transparency, really. Um, and then we, we did some redundancies during that period, um, which obviously is awful. Um, but again, everyone gets it. They understand. It doesn't just come out of the blue. You know, we've been talking to people about this. Um, so they understood it. And again, for the guys, you know, it's just a small number of people. Um, and I didn't go on LinkedIn the next day and post a photo of myself crying, <laughs> having done <I'm> it. Crying. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, you know, it's obviously awful for the people involved. And, but the people, you know, 90% of the business who are still there, you know, they get it. They understand that, you know, this is life and we've done everything we can to avoid this and we generally look after the team, but the reality is what it is. So we didn't have a problem with anyone. And I guess that's just because of all the work we put into the culture and openness and accountability to the leadership and, and building up that culture of trust, collaboration and empowerment. So I think, you know, it all boils down to communication, really, doesn't it? You're, you're sort oh, yeah. of over-communicating to that team. How do you think business owners and agency owners can now approach that post-COVID? Because I know your team was remote anyway, but, like, one of the challenges I've definitely faced is, because everyone's not here, you kind of need to find ways to communicate with them. And, and yeah. you know, do you email them every day with an update? You know, how do you know... How do, how do you communicate with them? This is the plan. This is the strategy. And, and you talked about having a quarterly meeting, a monthly meeting, and then this Friday session. And, and something else I'd love to know is how did you start those Friday sessions? How did you know what to put in those half an hour segments? Did you, did you do that yourself? Did you get someone in to facilitate it? To be honest, basically, we, we kind of made it up as we went along. But by putting it no. out there and telling everyone we were going to do this, we had to do it. So generally, the way we'd work out what we were doing is we would look at We'd meet as a leadership team and we'd, as part of a regular meeting. And, and, and one of the agenda items was, what are the problems we're seeing in the business in terms of the way people are with clients? What are people not doing with clients that perhaps we'd like them to do more of? And, and we discussed that every time we met as a leadership team because, you know, there'd be fresh examples in our, in our minds and of just things we'd seen. Not due to someone's, someone's fault. It's just because if people... 
If, if you haven't trained people on these skills, then you can't expect them to have them. You know, as agency leaders, we just assume everyone's going to be great with clients. And then we get annoyed when they're not. And they do what we think are really stupid things with our clients and really commercially naive things. So well, have you taken the time to help, help them understand these things and given them the skills to do this? And the answer is invariably no. Um, no. So yeah. to be honest, we just put it out there and then we had to do it. And so then, and we did it ourselves. We, we got someone in a little bit this one guy that we used but the vast majority like 95 percent, we did ourselves and to be fair we could because a we had a training academy in the business so we knew how to do training already we've been doing it for like right. well, 13 years since inception b we did a bit of transform like strategic kind of digital transformation work with clients like, like proper like business change stuff so we knew a bit about business change as well um and and c for me as a director personality type if i i'm just determined to achieve things i just have to get things done um so i did um so you know we had the know-how that i think forgetting about that third one we had the know-how that i suspect a lot of agency leaders wouldn't perhaps have because of that, that that background that we had but but the other thing we did as well was we also came up with what it like, like a kind of um client guides of like how you should be with clients so we kind of documented this so we came up with like how you do a web credible presentation and we had a presentation pack that was like this is how you do it like ultimately go in and present and be yourself but this is the framework and how you structure it and what you want to achieve and the best practices yep. and then what we did for presentation skills was every single six weeks three people um went and did a five minute presentation to the whole business and uh, each one got feedback in front of the whole business for five minutes including me including everyone um and I, we just drilled into people presentation skills that way. Um, and then we'd have like another kind of client experience guide that we got the whole business to help put together. So we spent many sessions on the different kind of guidelines and how we should be with clients and how people wanted to implement those. We came up with a series of behaviors as well as values. We also have behaviors of how we expect you to behave internally and with clients. And then in each behavior, we'd spend two sessions, one having people explore it, what it meant to them, what they're doing at the moment that's perhaps not in line with the behavior, what they can do more of, how they can support their team members to do more of that behavior. And then the second session, we'd get them all to make a poster about it. And then eventually we'd take those posters and get them properly designed up and put them up on the wall. So it wasn't just the training. It was also what we were doing outside of the training uh, that, that augmented mm -hmm. it. But the, the, the relentlessness of it, the small bite-sized chunks of training every single week is what ground in genuine behavior change. And when I, after we sold and I left the business, I got a message from one of the guys who'd been there for a few years. And I, it just made me want to cry. And it made it, it made like everything worthwhile, this message. You know, you go through loads of ups and downs, mostly downs. Mostly like, oh God, it's all falling to pieces and I'm making it up and everyone else out there seems to know what they're doing and I don't have a Scooby-Doo what I'm doing. But he sent me this message where he was like, this really long message saying, thank you so much for everything. Uh, blah, 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 blah. Um, I, I've been through a transformation here and so many of my colleagues have been through the same kind of transformation and it's impacted me not just at work but in my personal life and I'm never going to be the same again and I just I, I'm so grateful to you thank you so much and I mean you know you just like oh my god that's the nicest thing anyone said it this program really really had a massive impact um and it was fantastic so in terms of like is that retention new biz is that them combined i mean your business model itself obviously heavily relied on that new business front so were these retainer clients that you had or you know was was the job of this 
training to keep clients for longer or to win new clients or to keep them happy. It was, it was or, everything or to, to, to make people better with clients, able to deal with clients, able to sell in their work better so that when you know when you present your work if your client's not happy you're going to have rework mm. and then the debate begins about what well, is it is it billable or not because if the client feels it's not good enough then they're not happy about paying it really then, no there's a conflict well you might want to but you've got a conflict so mm. if you get better at selling in your work to clients if you get better at explaining how what you've done ticks all the boxes of their objectives and how what you've done solves all of the problems that they've told you about, rather than, okay, and here's the minutiae of why we've done it this way, then they're more likely to sign it off and you're more likely to progress to the next step. And we saw that. We saw that one of the benefits of it was the efficiency savings in that clients were signing off work. Yeah, don't get me wrong. They were generally happy before this and they were generally signing off work, but they were signing it off even more. And there were fewer instances of clients claiming, oh, no, this isn't quite right. Um, because when, if they did claim that, my team had the tools to know how to get around that and to, to work with them so that, they, you know, that we'd come to a common agreement of like, okay, well, maybe that's not quite right. But if we do this little thing over here, we'll get it there. So, yeah, it helped in every aspect of the business. So any company or agency looking to start this themselves that have been inspired by what you said today, what's the best way for them to start? So, um, well, you, you can do it yourself, and we did. And like I said, we had, you know, you know we had the, the understanding of how training works and how to deliver really interactive training that sticks. Um, and then we had experience around transformation. So you can do it yourself, or you could outsource it. Um, so after, you know, I, I sold the business and exited, I started a new company called Team Sturker. And basically, we offer this program. So we have this um, a curriculum, a formal curriculum, and it's, only for agencies and it's basically to give your entire team those client facing skills to level everyone up so that they spend a whole bunch of time doing amazing work and then they also have the tools and the confidence and the capability to make sure that clients think they're doing really amazing work and i guess to get a taste of that they can they can read this <laughs> yes yeah, so uh, obviously uh I, I, yeah so when i started the business i also wrote a book around what we teach yeah called human powered and um, yeah, a lot of it's in the book. So you, you, you can read the book as well. Um, one thing I've learned though, is that all of these skills can be learned. So being really good with clients, being able to build up rapport, being able to you know, get through tricky situations, have tricky conversations, all of that is a skill. And like with any skill, some people are naturally really good at it and some people aren't. And as with any skill, we can all learn it and get better at it. Well, uh how do people get hold of you? I know you're, they're not going to be able to get hold of you for a while, are they? Because you're disappearing for, is it six months oh, to go around yes, the world? Yes, about to go on sabbatical, <laughs> travelling. Yes, being with my children 24-7, including sleeping in the same room every single night for the next six months. So uh, maybe we'll be back in three weeks because it'll be like enough. We can't spend any more time You've had together. enough. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Generally LinkedIn. And, and how they find your book? Is it on Amazon? Uh, yeah, yeah, books on Amazon and every every book website. Uh, but LinkedIn's the, the the best place. I'll still be LinkedIn-ing while, I, while I'm abroad. That's brilliant. Thank you so much for coming on, Trent. It's been fascinating. Brilliant. Thanks, Chris. Really good chatting to you. Welcome. Cheers, mate.